today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's bring uh, let's bring in Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP, uh, as well consumer affairs uh, critic and uh, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Interesting headline uh, that we're seeing today: uh, United some states suing the Biden administration over the revoked uh, permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. You might remember that uh, on his first day in, uh, President Joe Biden uh, killed the Keystone XL pipeline, which uh, had been under construction, of course, uh, adding more woe to uh, our Western uh, uh, Canadians. Uh, Let's bring in Dan now. Dan, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks for having me this Friday afternoon, Scott. I remember when we were, this all happened way back when, and that was it, that was all. Is this over? What's been happening here? Give us an update. Well, I think the Americans are taking their energy a little security a little bit more uh, seriously than Canadians do. Um, we sort of live in this uh, uh, never-never world of, uh, hey, it's gone, don't worry about it, move on. Uh, the Americans don't quite take it this way, and as you know, uh, for many years, uh I uh, did a lot of work uh, with U.S. media on gasoline energy pricing. Americans are extraordinarily sensitive to uh, price increases, and they don't uh, buy into those out there who are finding trendy, cute ways to drive prices up. This is significant because what the Canadian government is not doing to push back on the Biden administration, 21, last, uh, last month it was nine, but now 21 U.S. states have challenged the constitutional validity of a presidential order to once again, as Democrats love doing, along with their liberal friends here in Canada, killing pipelines. Uh, it may very well be, and it's, it's coming from states, ironically, that have very little skin in the game. In other words, they're not, there's no pipeline going through there, but I think they recognize the validity of the Constitution and uh, feel that that was overreach by the uh, Democratic Biden administration. Uh, the one that stood out very quickly was, uh, was Georgia. I won't go through all the names. But their attorney generals are saying this is not just a you know a matter of a pipeline. It's also a much more serious issue of breach of constitutional practice, and it's for that reason that uh, uh, decision to kill uh, the uh, uh, the pipeline may not rest solely with the president of the United States, especially given uh, the fact that this has already been approved, disproved, approved. <laughs> it goes has one rigorous support from unions. It has one rigorous support from uh, natives uh, and indigenous groups along the way, save and except those who have been paid to become miscreants. Uh, the reality is that the only people fighting this are the absolute ideologues uh, and green climate bedwetters. Those are the ones that are pushing against this and have got Biden's attention. Uh, but I think right now we're dealing with a far more serious matter. This may take a couple of years in court, but at the end of all of this, uh, I wouldn't uh, uh, say Keystone is, uh, XL is dead. Quite to the contrary. The Americans know that they're going to be going to a period of time in which they are going to become, once again, happy importers of hydrocarbons, not, uh, as they were for the past couple of years, exporters. How do we get to this point of on again and off again and on again and off again without due diligence involved? I mean, you know, because again, um, that doesn't really advance the cause any if, you know, a president says that it's over and really it's not. Uh, was none of this consultation done before this decision was made? No, this is a, this pipeline is a metaphor for those who are opposed to pipelines generally. And it's a constituency that is very happy to be with the Democratic Party of the United States. Uh, it's a constituency uh, that uh, pretty much runs the show in Canada. I would say, you know, uh, far more than it is the U.S. Uh, but so for that reason, I think there's not just a legal challenge, there's now a moral challenge in the United States to push back. Americans are not used to 
the uh, idea that people can shut down pipelines. And where they have done this in the past, it's usually been set aside. It's why the Americans have uh, significant growth in their pipeline uh, infrastructure, natural gas, uh, petroleum products, and of course, oil. But this is critical for the United States, uh, mostly because of this. Uh, and it's critical for people to understand uh, this, Scott. Most U.S. refiners, which are situated in the U.S. Gulf Coast, where about 50% of all the gasoline and fuel is made for, to drive the U.S. economy, and about another third of that in the U.S. Midwest. So here we're talking Chicago and Illinois, Indiana, that region. Those refineries are almost uniquely uh, uh, invested towards heavier slates of oil. In other words, the U.S. Uh, shale revolution, which produces very light, tight oil, uh, you know, yeah, they can process it, but they can't do a whole hell of a lot with it. They can't build better petrochemicals, uh, you know, the, the styrenes, the ethanes, the ethylenes. These are things that are high value added for almost every refinery. So they love the heavy Canadian oil because you can do more with it. At the same time, the United States is not bringing in heavy oil from Saudi Arabia. Venezuela has none to give. Their, their system is you know, pretty much owned by the Chinese. Uh, Mexico is no longer able to do this. So the only viable option you have is Canada. It's cheap, it's abundant, and it's readily available, and it falls into the very important uh, historical challenge that the United States has faced since the days of OPEC and the embargoes, and that's energy security. So that's why I think you're seeing the states pushing back, not just on the constitutional grounds, but on the practical grounds. The reality is the U.S. needs Canadian oil, and uh, we're a ready supplier of clean, abundant, uh, uh, you know, secure energies that uh, we use back and forth uh, for, to, to, to develop our North American economies. So do these 21 states have a case? Do these 21 states uh, hold any, any clout? The sheer number, I think, is telling. But they have clout in the sense that this is a constitutional challenge. It's not just based on the merits of, uh, you know, uh, green versus not green, pipeline versus anti-pipeline, climate versus uh, no climate. This uh, brings in, I think, another layer of complication for the Biden administration. uh, And it's really to kill this uh, particular project. And it's for that reason that we now see a circumstance where, uh, there's a there's a, a real possibility that in two years' time or whenever whenever courts should decide this, that it could very well be over. So, how far along is Keystone? Well, it's about forty percent built. It's already crossed. It's already crossed the Canadian border, and for that reason, uh, it's in very much in the United States now. So, it's really up to Americans to make that decision. Uh, this on the Canadian side, we're pretty much finished with it except for what's in it, which, of course, is valuable to Canada. It's also valuable to the United States. The battle is going to take place down there and exclusively down there because, of course, from an environmental point of view, all the uh, all of the I's were dotted, all of the T's were crossed. This uh, particular pipeline received the approval from everybody and anything over the past 10 years. The only thing it didn't get was the political blessing, and now this becomes not just a political issue, a football kicked back and forth by various administrations, it's now going to be squarely in front of the, uh, of the courts of, this, of, of that country. And if the end result is that uh, uh, this overstep and breach by the president, uh, Keystone is very much alive and well, and there'd be no future president that will be able to play uh, these kind of political gimmicky games uh, for and against uh, pipelines.
It's, it seems that, you know, I mean, obviously Canadians will feel that they've done more than their share on this front, that, that we're pretty, uh, we have pretty high standards and such. The U.S., especially after Trump, sort of the opposite. Where's the happy medium here? Like, I mean, you know, canceling the Keystone on day one, that's an extreme. It's not the happy medium that, you know, we need to bring people together and solve a problem here. No, it was a slap in the face uh, from a diplomatic point of view, and Canadians may not have realized that because half the times they're clued out in terms of how these things take place. Uh, but it didn't; it wasn't lost on folks like me when we saw the spate of signatures that the president put in place. That some of them he turned over to his assistant and said, "What am I signing?" Uh, it's pretty scary when you make a decision like that. Uh, you know, fully in the hands of what Obama had done five, four, five years ago, that you're willing to simply sign off on anything without you know, due regard to consequence. As I mentioned at the outset, the Americans take energy pricing and energy security far more seriously than Canadians do. Canadians take it for granted. Uh, and as long as you get a little cute little rebate, they're fine with that. And uh, as long as you can continue to borrow money to, you know, up, to mask the fact that your energy sales have plummeted and that uh, you've done a real disservice to this industry, which is traditionally the biggest and largest uh, exporter by dollar and by, you know, by pretty much any uh, stretch, the greatest revenue generator for the Canadian government, bar none. Americans tend to see this thing a little bit more closer to home. Uh, mess around with 10 or 15 cents a gallon. Watch how long you stay in as a, as a, as a president or as a representative. And of course, we have the midterms coming up in, you know, 20, 19 months. That could very well change the composition of the, uh, of Congress, of the House of Representatives, and possibly even, you know, put uh, more pressure on Biden in the Senate, especially if prices continue to rise because Americans will continue to, will find themselves once again on their knees, uh, having to accept terms from Russia and Saudi Arabia as to how they're going to get their fuel when it's abundantly available through Canada. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So the fact that the uh, Keystone XL pipeline discussion has come up again, 21 uh, 21 states uh, questioning all of this, uh, how does that or does it have or change the discussion around Line 5? Well, Line 5 is uh, likely to be another example. Line 3 and 5, the one we're talking about, 5 is the one that currently exists, is already serving and has served uh, our fuel needs in, in Michigan, Ohio, to a lesser extent, Pennsylvania, all of Ontario, uh, Quebec and the Maritimes, not just in terms of oil uh, processed into gasoline and aviation fuel, but also propane. Uh, I suspect that uh, this constitutional decision um, uh, in terms of uh, what Michigan has done aligns very clearly with uh, the state that said, Mr. President, you don't have the authority to regulate uh, pipelines that are within our and between our states. That's up to us. Um, and it's ironically, I think what uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, has done validates uh, the 21 states that have opposed uh, the uh, decision by the Trump administration. So it's kind of funny from a constitutional legal perspective. Uh, it uh, it doesn't serve the environmentalists who've been shutting down or trying to shut down pli- pipelines left and right. Uh, as for the actual decision uh, to deal with Line 5, as I said, it's still 50-50. Not a lot of discussion on it. Many people believe this, too, will be stuck in courts for years to come. That doesn't take away the fact that during a period of time, Scott, last June, that pipeline, Line 5, crossing the Straits of Mackinac, was in fact closed until a higher court 
overturn the decision of a lower court on an emergency basis. So we had already a shot across the bow. And it's for that reason that uh, the state can act within its own rights and move to shut and proceed to shut this uh, down. Uh, All the company can do, Enbridge, is seek an injunction. How quick that happens really depends on the courts. And that's just not something I'm prepared to guess or speculate. I do know that we should be bracing for impact come the 13th of May when there is a likelihood of a curtailment of oil that will affect gasoline, will affect diesel, will affect uh, uh, you know our farmers, will affect our Pearson Airport and possibly even our Hamilton Airport here as well. Uh, so look, um, we're heading for some very interesting times. Uh, you know, there's only what, 57 days, tick tock, time for the federal government to pay attention. Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate. We have to turn these taps off now or this will never end. It'll just keep on expanding. Well, I think there's going to be more to the idea that you shut down the taps. It means shut down the Canadian economy. Uh, and we're not talking about expansion, but we are also, also talking about cleaner oil coming from Canada. That with new technologies makes our oil cleaner than what's being produced in the United States. So I think the Americans have got to play a bit of catch-up with Canadians. I think Canadians have to wake up and recognize the clean energy matrix that we have in this country and that we've had for quite some time. I'm not just talking about oil. Same for gasoline, same for uh, diesel production, same for, uh, you know, when it comes to things like natural gas. Uh, Of course, we don't have to talk about cleaner energy, uh, the ultimate, our hydro uh, that we've had for years, over a century as well as nuclear, which we've had for well over half a century in commercial use and uh, done very well by that. It's when we start messing around with this green agenda that we wind up paying these huge prices. And Scott, I'm going to be looking next week to see the reaction of our listeners here when they open their electrical pills and see, oh my goodness, it's no longer 8.5 cents a kilowatt hour, which was the rate we had during this uh, uh, pandemic. It's going to be anywhere from you know 11 to 17, in some cases as high as 21 with the provincial government taking on more and more debt to shield us from the true effects of the liberal, uh, uh, ridiculous idea 10 years ago with green energy uh, to force uh, renewables into our system and now costs us far more than any of us could have possibly imagined. I remember at the time full well, the minister of uh, responsible at the time, uh, George Smitherman, saying this would be a 1% increase and we'd create uh, some 50,000 jobs. Oh, it's 1%, all right. It's yeah. 300%. And that we've lost net thirty to seventy-five thousand jobs. So, look, uh, there's no devil uh, to see here, or uh, you know, angels dancing on on a pinhead. Uh, the reality is that green energy has been a very bad proposal, especially given that we already have a very strong complement of green energy. We're one of the cleanest countries in the world when it comes to energy production, distribution, and use. It seems as if uh, uh, climate change, and of course it's important to all Canadians. I mean, this is something that has to be taken seriously, but it seems it's the Prime Minister's number one issue. That's the most important thing to him. Uh, you know, he's more. He, it seems he's more interested in saving the planet than he is Canada. Um, well, he's got nothing else to offer. I mean, frankly, there is nothing there. He knows it. Uh, but, you know, there's a, a very strong group of people um, very well entrenched, who are selling to the credit markets, who have a lot of money, there's a lot of tax money that can go to various studies that can go to support all this. But at the end of all this, are we absolutely sure that our contribution, which is lessening here here in Canada, to greenhouse gases is leading to the changes we're seeing in the climate? Uh, I guess I'm one of those who believes that, uh, uh, and you'll like this, (laughs) the only thing that's more absurd than climate denialism 
are those who believe that we can actually do something about it. And I think that's where this really comes down, is that we're now focused on the wrong emergency. We're focused on, uh, you know, going overboard in terms of what this really means, and we're prepared to sacrifice the entire Canadian economy at the exact time. This is the same federal prime minister who refuses to acknowledge a budget, a parliamentary budget, to account for the massive hole that we found ourselves in, not just federally, provinces, municipalities, unfunded pensions. We are in really, really deep trouble. Uh, And if we want to think that uh, somehow we can change and transform the economy uh, and cause the cost of energy to go through the roof, as the Fraser Institute pointed out the other day, uh, if we believe that this is the way to go, then uh, that's a recipe for disaster economically and socially for this country, the likes of which I don't think any of us have ever experienced in our lifetimes. Uh, Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP. Dan, I just got a note saying you should run for the Conservatives. <laughs> well, you're thinking about going down, uh, full, full, full uh, doubling down on, uh, on climate change in Paris. No, absolutely not. They're, they're just Liberals light at this point, and until they demonstrate to me that they're prepared to fight this carbon nonsense, uh, I'm, I wouldn't go near them with a 10-foot pole. Um, it, it, uh, it seems odd that even through this issue of COVID-19 and waiting for these vaccines to arrive, we're still hammering away at election type issues like climate change or gun control while we're sitting like, uh, anywhere from 57th to 64th in the world when it comes to vaccine. I wish he would have this kind of commitment to business and, and, and vaccine production in this country. That's what you get from a part-time drama teacher. Look, I sat with him for three or four years in the House of Commons. I, I, prima donnas aren't, don't make good leaders. I don't know where it comes from. But, I mean, obviously people love the fact that he's, you know, suave and nice hair and, uh, you know, the socks, the sobbing, the selfies. Uh, but let's get serious, folks. You, you've got a government that doesn't know how to run its own affairs. Uh, doesn't know how to stay away from controversy, is willing to suppress Parliament any way, shape, or form it can, and use these crises to try to distract and say, there's nothing to see here, folks. Let's talk about another crisis, much of it manufactured. Uh, look, uh, I'll put my 18 years to test any Liberal MP who thinks that what they're doing is a great thing, and I'll put those 18 years to test anybody who thinks it's worthy of supporting this kind of nonsense. You're basically voting to eliminate your own jobs and your own security because you're throwing away the baby with the bathwater. The very things that help make our economy run and tick and can get us back on track are the very things that are being targeted by Liberals, Greens, and New Democrats. Uh, These folks uh, are completely unaware of the days in which we didn't have a lot, in which massive deficits led to significant dislocation, uh, in which uh, there is very few options going forward. Either the government continues to lie, and they can only do so until the next election, I guess in June, which they want. Beyond that, um, you know, our, our social programs are at risk, and our levels of taxation are going to go through the roof for generations to come. So, folks, if uh, you think it's cool and trendy, and you like the sobbing, and you like the selfies, uh, yeah, and you like the socks, uh, then you're going to have a lot of time to think about that and ponder that as you lose your shirts, you lose your homes, and you lose your 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 vitality and our standard of living as Canadians. This is unfortunate, but that's where we're heading, and I uh, I can't see any way of averting it because I don't think Canadians are ready to accept the reality uh, that they have a poltroon running the country who's running the country into the ground. Where's the centre? Uh, Dan McTagg with us, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs critic, uh, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Dan, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for having me again, Scott. Bye-bye. 
The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.